0: Hello, listeners. I'm Paige Smith with Below the Radar, a knowledge mobilization podcast. Below the Radar is created by SFU's City Office of Community Engagement and is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil waututh peoples. On this episode, we are joined by Stuart Points and Joanna Habdink, who are both part of SFU's Community Engaged Research Initiative, also known as Siri. With our host, Am Johal, Stuart and Joanna dig into what community-engaged research is and how universities can do a better job of answering the call to provide more opportunities for collaboration and research within communities.
1: Glad you could join us on Below the Radar. I'm here with a couple of my colleagues, Dr. Stuart Points from the School of Communication at SFU and Joanna Habdank, who's also working with the Community Engaged Research Initiative. Welcome to both of you.
2: Thanks. It's great to be here.
3: Yeah, it's great to be here, Ann.
1: Stuart, you and I have been involved with this project for a while, and Joanna has just joined us. But I thought it'd be a great time to have a conversation because I think a lot of people out in the world might not know exactly what this is. But maybe I'll start with you, Stuart, if you could maybe introduce yourself a little bit in terms of your own academic work and your relationship to the Community Engaged Research Initiative at SFU.
3: Yeah. First of all, it's really great to be here. I love this podcast. The Community Engaged Research Initiative is an effort to build a new kind of infrastructure at the university. And my connection with it comes from a couple of places. I've been in the academy for a little over 10 years now. Before that, spent a long time, about a decade, working in uh, the non-profit world. And working in the non-profit world, working with communities, especially young people, young people and arts communities, media communities, made me deeply aware of how A whole set of institutions and groups that work uh, close to, alongside, sometimes in touch with universities can be both enabled by that relationship and also challenged by that relationship and put into positions where they become overly dependent or unnecessarily taken advantage of by the institution. And I think the Community Engaged Research Initiative is a institution, a place that tries to set up what we think of as positive, useful, but also equitable kinds of relationships with communities and the university. And there's, a, there's a embedded inequity there because universities are large and they're very powerful public institutions. And many of the groups that are in communities are working with tight budgets, tight timelines, etc. So my relationship with community-engaged research comes from a place of awareness of how important communities are for building civil culture and civil life, especially for young people in cities who can often be outside of cities and the outside of power structures in cities. And community-engaged research is one of those ways that those sets of relationships can be reset and reimagined.
1: Thanks, Stuart and uh, Joanna. You've just recently joined us here at SFU, but you come from a long history of doing work in the nonprofit sector. But you have an interesting story, just in terms of how you uh, came to Canada and the work that you've been doing in the nonprofit sector, pr- primarily working with refugees, newcomers, etc. I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself a little bit.
2: Sure. So I actually I came to Canada when I was 10 years old. So and I came here as a privately sponsored refugee. At that time, I wasn't really very aware of what was going on. But it really started my interest in developing deeper connection and understanding of how different types of communities come together. I ended up going into journalism for a while. I worked with local newspapers here in Vancouver. And part of the reason for that was to bring voices to the forefront, voices that often may not get heard, may not be empowered, may be overlooked. And that was really the driving force behind that. And that's also what led me to then study human rights. I was really interested in looking at the deeper aspect of the sociological, um, philosophical, and also really the legal aspect of that. Through that, perhaps unsurprisingly, I became really interested in immigrant and refugee law. And I did that in in the UK. So when I came back to Vancouver, that's how I ended up becoming much more involved in the nonprofit world. I ended up working for a couple of nonprofit agencies. Initially, it was through Success and then Mosaic, which are two local agencies that are focused on immigrant and refugee programming and also looking at different policy aspects of that. It was really through my work, particularly with Mosaic, where I was working more around community outreach and community development that I became much more interested in sort of creating deeper bridges between different organizations whether that might be different nonprofits or institutions, so it could be SFU, but also anything from RCMP to healthcare-based community organizations. And I became interested in, in Siri because it was a way to bring that experience to the project because I think what Stewart mentioned is really important to bring to the forefront, which is often that imbalanced relationship between researchers and community organizations, particularly because there's usually a scarcity of resources when you look at community-based organizations compared to places like uh, UBC, SFU, higher education institution that you look at. So I think it's interesting to, to, to bring that experience here and bring that understanding from that nonprofit background and world, but also explore the possibilities and see what can come from that.
1: Yeah, you know what's been interesting for me in terms of being involved in the project is I, I was first hired at SFU in community engagement. And, you know, our our president Andrew Petter has been a really strong proponent of community engagement in kind of all of its aspects. But a number of us who were hired in that time, 2010, 2011, a lot of support came from external funders and we built up a lot of relationships with community. We've gone into the classroom to teach as well to bring those pieces in place. But also these kinds of sensitivities around research in the sense that the formation of research questions can take some time. The kinds of fundings that come in happen over a number of years. And as well when relationships are being built oftentimes for those of us who are coming with community relationships inside the institution, the way that we wanted to start out that relationship was not by getting people to sign ethics questionnaires and those types of things. It was a different type of conversation because research wasn't the initial thing that we were starting with. And in a way, now that we're eight, nine years into the project, at least, that I was initially involved in before being involved with Siri, that we feel that those types of relationships are deep and quite ready to be taken to the next level in in many ways. And so these kinds of sometimes dissonances or differences between community engagement and community engaged research are really important to kind of pull apart a little bit because in some sense, they can draw out divisions within an institution. There are scarcities within institutions in terms of what gets funded. But at the same time, there's incredible opportunities of overlap and synergy and making sure that we are taking community engagement into all other levels, be it teaching and research. So to me, the exciting piece of it is how we kind of embark and get around, I think, what have been internal institutional divisions that sometimes play out in terms of how resources and offices get started. And to me, those are some interesting questions coming into the project of how we do that. And and Stuart, and I'm wondering from the perspective of you being a faculty member, the things that get in the way of those scholars who have been doing community-engaged research, what are the, whether they're funding institutions? institutions? institutions who have certain limitations, or it's a tenure review process, those types of things that can get in the way of people who have been doing community-engaged research in terms of what the institution can do to support these things better.
3: So I'm going to answer that question, Em, about how the institution operates that challenges the work of community-engaged scholars. But I also want to come back to, after saying that, your point about moving the process of community engagement to a different level by bringing research squarely into the process. Because I think that's a really interesting development, and there's more that needs to be said about that. So I'll come back to that point. Community engaged research at SFU, at a university like SFU, and SFU is not alone in this, has been ongoing for decades. And I think that in many public institutions, community-based research or research that happens in community is simply par for the course. People do this work because communities are the sites where action, experience, histories are happening. So it's not surprising that researchers are out in the community. Community Community-engaged research, though, Changes that dynamic in a sense. And for many researchers who have pursued that work, the time it takes to build relationships that you mentioned, the resources that are necessary to support communities to become part of university led research projects in a hospitable sense take time to build. Those relationships take time to nurture and to build trust. To recognize that work is something the university is often quite excited about but struggles against. And I mean, that the usual metrics for showing research success, things like publications, things like grants and, and funding, etc., don't necessarily line up with community-engaged research in a straightforward or simple way. And I think those... Concerns are really acute at this point, because as universities, SFU amongst others, respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and and attempt to address the role of the institution in relation to Indigenous communities and Indigenous knowledge, the priority to recognize and nurture and support community engaged research is more important than ever. And that means actually changing at a fundamental level, things like tenure and promotion practices, tenure and promotion policies, because there's not an easy fit between the way those practices have historically developed, and the actual work of community-engaged researchers. The other challenge here is simply gathering together the work that has existed over decades, that falls into the cracks of invisible archives, and finding a way to bring that into visibility, I think, is, a, is an urgent agenda right now, because it makes sense of all those communities who have had an, uh, long and deep relationships with the institution that have often been invisible. These all give justification to why Siri presents exciting new possibilities. And I would say the exciting new possibilities in the sense that Siri is the kind of initiative that has the possibility of building a new infrastructure, a new pillar within the university that changes the operation of the university. And there's few opportunities like that in the timeline of university development. So when you have something like this appears on the scene, it's tremendously important to really pull it out and make it a success, it seems to me, which is, a, I think, why giving a tremendous amount of effort and, and bringing people into this project has a real urgency at I want to go back, though, to your point earlier about what does research add to the agenda of community engagement, which I think universities have been working on and dialing up as a priority for, for for certainly a decade. And I think what research does in that relationship in a really interesting way is it brings to bear on a relationship between universities and communities one of the essential areas of work that universities do, which is, knowledge development, knowledge mobilization. Research is the currency of universities in many ways. And to put that currency at stake in the relationships between communities brings communities into a new place of significance and important, and I dare say legitimacy. And I think what Siri can do by integrating research into community engagement is to put communities on an on-par relationship with the larger mission and vision of what universities do. Rather than being a tertiary or extended kind of project of universities, bringing research into the dynamic really brings community engagement into the very center of purpose for what universities do. Not only is that exciting uh, and super promising in lots of ways, but it changes the way we imagine the community engagement dynamic such that this is not just something that universities should do as some kind of uh, responsibility to community which has a, the potential to have a certain kind of missionary notion about it, a salvational notion about it. And instead, it brings communities into a place of uh, partnership and equitable knowledge creation with the universities. And I think that is a significant reset or recalibration of how universities imagine the partners that they're working but, with. You
1: know, with the sort of uh, traditional animosities that can happen between universities and communities, and say a community like the downtown east side, some of the Conversations been involved with since the, the 90s, uh, people would uh, push back a little bit on that point by arguing that the, in fact, it's the community that will give legitimacy to the research enterprise rather than the other way around. And partly, it's uh, it's the power relationship in that piece. But I think it's in that engagement that those antagonisms made visible create some new kind of space that can be. Uh, worked from. And Joanna, I'm wondering, like from your perspective, uh, you have worked on the community side, have done forms of uh, research with the organizations you've worked with, and you've probably, like many people, had both positive and negative experiences working around research and wondering if you can share at least uh, your approach to working on community-engaged research, be it directly from the organizations you worked with or the relationships you had with university, what more were you looking for from universities when you were uh, embarking on these this type of work and partnerships?
2: So I think one of the challenges in working together with different institutions was that there was almost this veneer of wanting to be having an equitable approach to the conversations, to the research. But it seemed like there was, not always, but sometimes there was a bit of that legitimacy lacking in that conversation because of that power imbalance that I was alluding to before. Because the funds are coming from the institution, it made it a little bit more challenging to carry out that kind of work, to to sort of find that voice within that conversation. There was Quite a few demands almost being placed onto the nonprofit sector or the nonprofit agencies, and there wasn't really that much recognition around the restrictions that the nonprofits were working within. And there's quite a few, so I think um, I think that's definitely a challenge that has to be addressed. Not just necessarily through Siri, but just in those conversations that will be had whenever you consider having any community-engaged projects is to sort of have that recognition of how do you approach it? How do you create, lower the barriers for nonprofits to be part of that? How do you empower their voices? How do you bring them forward? And sort of checking yourself in that process as well, because I don't think that's really recognized sometimes from the researcher's perspective that, that it's even there. And I think that's definitely a challenge.
1: And we see, you know, all sorts of uh, examples around uh, looking at what does ethics look like from a community perspective, a great uh, project that Hives for Humanity that uh, was involved with here in the downtown east side. And when they had a negative experience with a documentary filmmaker, cultural production, we've had many discussions within the School for Temporary Arts at SFU, And so there's something about the research enterprise from a community perspective that actually adds a lot to the institution in terms of changing its own policies or uh, producing materials that can be really helpful for students to think through how they're working. And so I guess in some sense, in the way that you talk about it, Stuart, it's important to create an infrastructure within the institution that supports researchers doing this work. I think, I guess, one of the questions for all of us to consider as well as what's the kind of infrastructure we need to create inside the institution that will also support various communities and community organizations and how to embed that within institutions. Uh, Because I guess in some sense, when we get into questions of ethics, things are written from a university or institutional perspective. And sometimes when communities feel like they haven't been treated fairly, it's not always transparent as to how they raise those questions or issues. I'm wondering how you think about how, communities can interface with the institutions in a way that would also be mobilizing for them. Because I guess in in some sense a, a proper community age research process already has that built in. But I think it's it's when the research processes don't have that built in that that issues emerge or arise.
3: I think that's absolutely right, Anne, that when, when that process is not built in, then the power imbalance between An institution like the university and communities, community organizations, and groups is more likely to rise as a point of real friction. Your point earlier about communities seeing themselves as the site and the engine of research, I I think, is for many organizations and many communities absolutely true. And I know in my work over the years with uh, the Media Democracy Project, the alternative media and independent media community have seen themselves as pushing the edges of how media spaces and media alliances and practices uh, develop and seeing themselves as a rich site of justice and innovation and At the same time, when they're um, brought into the university, without uh, an organization, a body like Siri, I think there's always the possibility that the institution gobbles that up in a way that's useful for those internal to the university rather than community groups. And so it seems to me that what the lesson of community ethics uh, reminds us about is that without having set frameworks, and set resources and bodies like Siri in place, there's always a possibility, there's always the possibility for relationships to be returned back to a much more traditional dynamic of the institution as the giver and the communities as the receiver. Having said that, it seems to me what Siri does is that Siri acts as both a space to frame and bring visibility to community-engaged research that's happened in the institution, but is also a constant reminder and a place that makes a demand on the institution, holds a demand front and centre on the institution to define its work with communities in a way that is reciprocal and equitable and allows communities to drive their own agenda. One of the ways that the university can do that through an, a site like Siri, is by creating a more hospitable and welcome entry point. And I mean that in a very specific spatial sense, that much of universities are not especially welcoming or easy for communities to find themselves at ease in. And so, and that's a consequence of the size and the, uh, the disparate space of university campuses and the actual, the corporatization of universities, which can give them much more of an office culture feel than a community center feel. And it seems to me one of the things we've done with Siri is, is, is try to build a different kind of physical space that doesn't have the same kind of corporate or institutional framing around it, but has a more fluid organizational space, a more welcoming kind of environment with fewer kinds of stamps of institutional authority. And that is entirely intentional in order to allow communities to feel at home in this space in a way that fits more with their needs and their research agendas. It sets the ground for them to set an agenda in a way that other kinds of spaces simply may not at universities. And that's a consequence of the way they're designed the way they're labeled, the way they're monitored and controlled.
1: One of the things that, that comes up as well is because universities are really set up to really focus on the core missions of teaching and research, and they're big institutions. That when we get into sort of at the granular level for those who are doing community engaged research, things like providing honoraria to participants, those types of things, where you need people's social insurance numbers and an address, and when you're dealing with particular populations, uh, not everyone has identification or a social insurance number or a fixed address and so trying to engage in equitable forms of uh, participatory research can have institutional barriers. And that's why it becomes so essential to partner with community organizations who have those systems in place that can make these things function. And I think one of the interesting things about uh, Syria as well, we're based out of 312 Maine, an old police station that has a number of community organizations, civil society organizations. We're based in the downtown side neighborhood, but we're an institution-wide initiative. And so that also means that we're going to be working in communities like Surrey, where we're going to be working with researchers that are working in rural BC and elsewhere as well. And so trying to think through an initiative while it's in its formative phase, I think this is something we've uh, talked about between us a number of times, but it's one of the challenges as you're forming and thinking through. And I'm wondering how you think through that problematic complexity.
2: Well, I think that what's really exciting about Surrey is the idea that allows community organizations to bring forward their own agendas rather than being aligned with the institutional agenda of a researcher's agenda. I think that's the thing that will differentiate it and allow those community organizations or groups to bring forward their own interests and facilitate those kind of research that they actually are looking forward to to carrying out and in partnership with SFU. And that's going to lower down some of those barriers that do come up in other situations.
3: Yeah, can I just add to that, which I I think that Siri not only offers the opportunity to reach across the institution across the campuses and from other places besides 312 Maine to reset the relationships between community organizations and uh, campuses in Surrey, campuses in Burnaby. But there's also an interesting internal pedagogical process at work that one of the things that Surrey does is it engages with researchers and students inside the university to revisit and rethink what community engaged research means, what its practice looks like. And it's a fascinating dialogue to revisit on a regular basis because what you see is that there's a slipperiness to how community-engaged research is understood and practiced. And having Siri as a body that's responsible for Securing and building and setting a certain kind of research-centered relationship with communities that speaks to the utility of the knowledge produced that works for the community, that Mm. secures the research results that go back to the community so it can be used by organizations, that the agenda of research projects is driven by communities, and then with uh, researchers, all of this has a way of doing work of framing what community engaged research is from the perspective of SFU as compared to, for instance, community based research, which is a a different kind of outlet to the community. And so there's a value, not only uh, externally, but internally to what series places and what it does to frame the process and the project of community-engaged research.
1: In looking at other institutions that are doing this type of work, what are the ones that come to mind for you that are doing this work in an interesting way in terms of places that we can learn from as an institution like SFU? Uh, But I guess at the same time, in starting something new, you're also situating it within a city in a context that uh, will obviously make it unique in its own way. But are there places that we can learn from?
3: I'm going to take a first shot at that and say that I think there's two ways to answer that, Em. I think there are places that we can learn from, including Concordia University and the Batiment Sept project, which is uh, not squarely focused on research, but as a fascinating model of community engagement and and the particular responsibility felt to the community. Bodies like Trent University's Community Engaged Research Institute, which has been going on for twenty years, I think, is another interesting uh, effort. I think you have more to say on that front about other bodies and institutes that we can learn from. What I'm thinking though is that what we can also learn from the development of Siri and and, and the way in which we've brought to bear an implementation plan, is the effort to hold back and push back on particular professionalized, corporatized notions of what community engagement looks like. I think right now at universities across North America and in many other jurisdictions, but certainly across North America, community engagement and community engaged research has become a kind of rhetoric to justify the public value of universities, the public worth of the dollars that governments spend on universities. And what's happening in that process is that a real professionalized, business-centered language has been spinning out around what community engagement looks like, its impact on communities, the obligations, et cetera, a kind of language around this is happening. I think what often occurs in that process is that language becomes slogan-like, and really undoes or eliminates the, the real substance of community engagement and community-engaged research as an equitable, responsible, community-driven, community-led process, where the language is from communities as opposed to professional networks. So I think one of the things we can learn is in the way we hold back against the insertion of that professional language into our practice, because that has a risk of alienating the communities we want to work with and really um, undoing. The the struggle over meaning and the struggle over a compatible language to describe how it is one works with communities in meaningful and and substantive ways as opposed to language that is, is well set for reports and boards but not necessarily fit for communities.
1: I think when I think about uh, colleagues across the country that I've learned uh, a lot from uh, Charmaine Lynn and Alex Megalus at Concordia University who are doing fantastic work. Uh, Lisa Erickson at the University of Saskatchewan who's based out of Station 20 West. Really interesting project where the University of Saskatchewan is embedded with community that in talking to people like Barbara Holland, who's a consultant for higher ed in the states, based down in Portland, but this notion of taking a look at all of the missions of the university around teaching, research, and community engagement, and and thinking about community engagement as a form of teaching, community engagement as a form of research, and also in and of itself the kind of partnerships that are created. But trying to, when you make things messy and you build strong partnerships through teaching, through research, through engagement, when things get really messy after a while things become really, really interesting where you don't know how these things connect with each other. We've done stuff, I know, in my own office with the oral storytelling of what happens in the neighborhood that's never been written into reports, uh, capturing that on video in a way that it can be cited in research documents. And these things begin to start speaking to each other, provided there's a kind of depth and duration to the work being, being offered. Joanna, I'm wondering for, for you coming in fairly new to the post-secondary environment, you have, you have a master's degree in human rights and a master's degree in journalism, you're obviously very comfortable in, in higher education, but you've worked in the nonprofit sector. Coming into a big institution like SFU to draw out those connections between university and community through uh, community-engaged research, what is it that makes you excited about that type of work?
2: I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier about breaking down some of those barriers that I think often come up when we're doing community-based research, bringing it closer to the community, bringing it closer to the people that are actually impacted by the research or hopefully positively impacted. Just as I was listening to, to our conversation here, one of the things that comes back to me is that there's a tremendous amount of trust that's already embedded in community organizations between the organization and the clients. That's how you build those relationships. And I think that allows those stories to really come forward. It allows those kinds of relationships can become the foundation for creating deeper knowledge, deeper relationships. And I think that's really important when you're, when you're trying to build what Siri is doing and what universities seek to do.
1: And Stuart, for for you as a faculty member uh, being involved with uh, Siri, what are you most excited about as we embark on this project together?
3: The thing I'm most excited about is that Siri has the potential to transform how the university situates funding, situates partnerships, situates its imprint in a region like the Lower Mainland, and and maybe further afield than that, but certainly in the Lower Mainland. And I mean by that, that Siri stretches SFU as an institution in ways that the institution's been pointing to, has been speaking about, but this initiative has the potential to take that opening and really set it in place and anchor it in terms of programs, in terms of funding, in terms of recognized and evident relationships with community, which then become an example to future teaching and learning and research practice in the university for faculty members and for students. If I were to summarize this, I think that what Siri can be is This is a kind of uh, sloganistic language, but it's a kind of pillar within the institution, and it's a pillar that uh, the institution has alluded to, has pointed to, has something they want to stand on as uh, part of their reputation and significance. They haven't really committed to that build, committed to allow that to um, really flourish and take shape. And I think Siri can be that kind of space that does that work. It establishes funding relationships with communities where the communities are driving the use of those funds. That's a really important dynamic from the university's perspective where it establishes a manner of recognizing and giving legitimacy to a certain kind of research practice, which, as we said earlier, has a long history in the institution, but often um, below the radar and certainly not in a way that aggregates it together as a credible mode of disciplinary practice. It it has the potential to build a space where communities belong, as opposed to being a curiosity for uh, the university, something that the university sees, but doesn't really engage in a fulsome way. And if Siri works the way I think we hope it will work, Siri will be a place where communities feel like they walk in the door and they have a certain kind of at-homeness in this space, an ability to access the kind of resources, public librarian, database resources, methods of organizing their own knowledge mobilization that are um, fit for them and not for them as an extension of the university, but are fit for them as a way of vitalizing the university. That reorients and recalibrates the power relationship between universities and communities. And that's, that's collectively what I'm most excited about.
1: It seems to me there's going to be this sort of uh, attempt to move this multi-year initiative into a permanent institute at the university, and I think it's going to require that kind of long-term embeddedness to achieve the kind of outcomes that we're looking for. We're recording this here in December uh, 2019. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be April 2020, where we, uh, at that point, will be doing an open call out to faculty, graduate students, and community organizations in terms of ideas around community-engaged research, which uh, we hope that we're going to be able to uh, partner on. And uh, we have a lot of work uh, ahead of us. Any final thoughts from from both of you?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to to add to what I was saying before to really answer your question a little bit deeper. I, Whenever I was doing research when I was at university, Or whether it was actually when I was doing interviews as a journalist, especially when I was doing it with vulnerable groups, I have to be honest, there was always a little bit of guilt attached to it because it always felt like I was... I hate to do it. I hate to say this word, but I always felt like I was kind of using those people in a way without offering much in return, even though it was clear that I was trying to do it for the quote-unquote right reasons and elicit the kind of information that would probably further research, information, knowledge, and so forth about the issue. But there, it always, something always kind of didn't sit all that right with me. And I think this will be, be an opportunity to change that for anyone else that has had those feelings before. So if I could have been aligned with organizations that were already doing this kind of research or looking for someone to contribute to it and sort of creating that, that kind of relationship, it probably wouldn't have been in there.
3: Let me um, just add on to that. Uh, Joanna would just say that I, I think the thing at the end of the day that I'm also deeply excited about about Siri is that in Canada in many countries around the world, the immense pressure on universities to produce um, forms of efficiency, kinds of uh, outcomes that feed into systems of metrics, and metric building is part of a whole agenda around the u- using of uh, universities as economic drivers. Part of your
1: a- KPIs, Stuart. KPIs <laughs> and key K- performance
3: P- P- indicators. Your key performance indicators, which are all part of a kind of process that many listeners will be familiar with, which is this neoliberalization of universities and how universities work. That process is different in different countries. In Canada, there there is a sense in which the public university with a deep uh, and abiding obligation to non-expert communities and, and organizations still resonates, still holds a, a certain obligation by the university. I think Siri actually has the potential to act on that in a much more substantive way and hold to... A understanding of the university against the the pressures to deliver kPIs to deliver certain kinds of economic mandates and economic impact and to actually have a, a much more substantive civic and public role that nurtures and is a partner with communities rather than is uh, a site of extraction of value from communities and at the end of the day that may be its, its greatest legacy if we if we actually make the marks we hope to make is that it will become a metaphor of what universities should and must continue to be rather than what they are becoming.
1: I uh, just want to thank my friends and colleagues, Joanna Habdank and Stuart Points for joining us on Below the Radar. Thank you so much.
3: Thanks, Thank Sam. you.
0: Thank you again to Stuart Points and Joanna Habdank for joining us on this episode of Below the Radar. To learn more about SFU's community engaged research initiative, you can check out their website, which we've linked in the episode description. Next week, we'll hear from Tara Mahoney, creative director of Gen Y Media and series research and engagement coordinator. So, then a few months later, we had organized our first intergenerational dialogue event, and that proved to be quite a compelling thing to watch because not only was there a lot of commonality and kind of solidarity happening, but also a lot of difference and tension, like a learning tension that was happening between the generations that I think resonated with people. You can listen to and download episodes of Below the Radar wherever you catch your podcasts, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with upcoming episodes and news. As always, thank you to the team that puts this podcast together, including myself, Paige Smith, Rachel Wong, Fiorella Pinos and Kathy Fang. David Steele is the composer of our theme music and thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of Below the Radar.